Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dorsey Wright Podcast. Today is Wednesday, January 15th, and I'm Eric McArdle. And today with me, I have John Lewis with our money management team. John, good to see you again. Hey, thanks for having me in. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure. I know uh, we got together a couple months ago, talked factors, and talked about some of the benefits of SMA strategies. So, you know, a couple months in the investing world, really, uh, that could be a whole lifetime of difference, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're in a market right now where domestic equity indexes are hitting all-time highs consecutively, a lot of strength across the board, not only in domestic equities, but also recently in international on a short-term basis. So it's helpful for us to get your perspective and, you know, kind of bounce that off of what we see here in the office, um, just with what you're seeing. Any observations, you know, from a global macro perspective that you want to share with us? Yeah. So, I mean, you're right. The domestic equity indexes continue to do really, really well. Um, that theme has been in place for quite some time, and it really has been focused in large cap. I mean, large cap has done so much better than, than small cap over the last few years. But we're starting to see some strength come back in international. And then we're also starting to see some things pop up that we haven't seen for a long time. For example, precious metals have done you know pretty well over the last few months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the dollars is not as strong as it was. Um, so we might be seeing some some changes there with you know an effect of a falling dollar. So it does seem like there might be some changes coming, but to be honest, like we've kind of said this for the last couple of years, right? Everyone thinks there's these changes coming. So I'm not really sure if this is going to keep going, right? Or whether this is just kind of something that we've seen before, but it does feel like um, there are more changes happening right now. They seem to be a little bigger and they seem to be something that might take hold and be a little more long-term. That's right. And, and when we look at a couple of those points, you know, namely the dollar to start, we've seen that pull back off of a recent high. And that's really coincided with International's recent rally, right? You know, that's a, a relationship that generally tends to pair together. Um, you know, and additionally, you mentioned gold, and that's something we spotlighted recently uh, last week where gold returned to a second consecutive buy signal and marked a six year high on its default chart for uh, ticker GLD. So a lot of strength there in the precious metal space after a little bit of a pullback recently. Um, Now, what about in fixed income? Because that's been a really interesting story for investors. Just looking at the last 18 months, you know, we came from the expectation that rates were gonna continue higher. And then it seems like we were almost broadsided by, you know, rates falling, and then the Fed ended up cutting multiple times. So. What do we see in the bond market heading into 2020? Yeah, so like you said, it has been a wild ride in the bond market. Um, I think like last year, there was no analysts out there that really predicted there was going to be falling rates. I mean, everybody thought rates were going up. Exactly the opposite thing happened, and rates really accelerated downward um, You know, over the spring and summer months. Um, we run a tactical fixed income strategy, um, and it really is like a trend-following type of strategy. So we don't do any macroeconomic forecasting or things like that, but we really just do follow trends. And last year, we had a lot of exposure in long 
long-term U.S. Treasuries. Um, and then we also uh, run little uh, pieces in there that are smaller bond classes like convertibles, high yield, things like that. Those were all in kind of risk-on mode for pretty much the whole year last year. We're seeing the same thing going into 2020. Things like high yield are doing very well. The spreads have really, really contracted in high yield, which is a good sign. Um, converts continue to do well as, as the market does well. Um, you know, you get that equity kicker in converts, so that's very helpful. Corporates are doing well. Emerging market bonds are doing well. We do have kind of a risk-off position in our treasury buckets, but honestly, I do. I think that that's more of just a reaction to that the rapid descent in rates just slowing down, more of kind of a momentum thing rather than you know a definite call on rates going up. Mm -hmm. And we could see maybe that more aggressive treasury stuff coming back into the portfolio um, over the next few months. Gotcha. And from a duration standpoint, you know, with with the rates. You know, trending lower, are we still looking kind of on the long end in terms of duration for fixed income instruments on the treasury side? Yeah, so so right now we, we've shortened it up mm -hmm. um, for our stuff, and that's I think you know it's I think that's a shorter term type of call. But as as long as rates kind of continue this trend down, then you want to be like on the longer duration side, right, to capitalize on that. However. Um, it's really difficult to forecast this stuff. So I think if you're going to do that and you're going to be tactical, you really need to think about being flexible. And if you have to shorten duration or lengthen duration, that's really easy to do with um, with our indicators and then also with the ETFs that are out there. It's easy to you know go from short-term treasuries to long-term treasuries with just kind of one trade. So um, being flexible and being kind of adaptive to this environment that is really uncertain um, I think is really important right now. Absolutely. And you know that kind of brings us to what we do here and what you guys do on, on the managed account side by being flexible using momentum, right? So you know we, we talk about momentum, we talk about relative strength investing. What are some parts of your process in terms of finding ideas, finding winners and strength in the market? So, yeah, we use momentum really as the real backbone of what we do uh, in all the managed accounts and indexes and all the stuff that we're looking at. Um, I think it is really important to just know that momentum is it's incredibly adaptive. It gets you eventually where you need to go. It's a trend-following factor. And what we do is try to make it as systematic and unemotional as possible. I think Momentum is very difficult to implement. The concept is simple and people think it's easy to do, but if it were that easy to do, more people would do it, right? Because it is such a good factor. So we try to take the emotion out, do it in a very systematic and disciplined fashion. And I think that helps us kind of implement this, these kind of factors, you know, kind of day after day and not really get caught up in the headlines or, or you know, what the media is saying or anything like that with the broad market. Right, right. And, we, you know, last time we were together, you, you dropped this line. You said we, we pair momentum with factors that have an inverse correlation of <laughs> yeah. excess return. I remember that. That stuck with me. Yeah. And so, you know, we talked about momentum purely. And, and we can also then look and pair that with other factors such as low volatility, dividend yield, value, right? And, and get a, a good long-term result by 
complementing those two factors together. Um, so, we, you know, do you have any any points on that? Any strategies that we offer on that front? Yeah. So we, we do have some indexes out there um, that do multi-factor type of investing. Um, they do um, momentum and low vol, momentum value, momentum dividend. But mixing momentum with these other factors is really a an excellent way to kind of tweak the portfolio and kind of um, you can create different return streams by mixing these factors. And what I mean by that is just a pure momentum portfolio behaves a certain way, right? But if you mix momentum with quality or momentum with value or momentum with low vol, that portfolio acts in a different way. And what that momentum factor winds up doing, say, for example, we're looking at a momentum and value portfolio, it does help you avoid a lot of the value traps that are out there because the market tends to recognize these things. They're not all going to go away. You're still going to get caught in some of them, but it reduces the number that are out there. And that's really the bugaboo for any sort of like value type of strategy. Sure. So mixing these factors is really, really powerful. You can do it within kind of one multi-factor portfolio, or you can do it um, uh, with just kind of separate factors and buying them and just kind of holding two different things together. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense when, you know, you're in an environment right now where growth is favored, right? And then this is separate from the momentum piece a little bit, but a lot of investors that are value oriented have been waiting for the other shoe to drop and, and hanging on to that conviction for a while. And I think when you pair momentum with something like value or yield, it makes that position a little more palatable in times where the factor itself is maybe not in favor, right? So something yeah. more more long-term buy and hold perhaps. Yeah, so you know, value, like you said, has been out of favor for quite some time. Um, you know, the dividend stuff has been working well because rates have gone down. But sure. what that momentum piece is going to do is make sure that what you're buying is at least kind of keeping up with the market. Right, and you you want that in the portfolio because it is really difficult to sit around for multiple years where the strategy isn't working. I mean, we all know value is a great factor. We all know it's going to continue to outperform. It just the timing of it is incredibly difficult. And if you have you know three to five years of underperformance, that's tough to deal with, right? So including that momentum factor can help that. Um, and kind of help you along getting things that are, uh, you know, a little more, um, it's going to be a a little less kind of out there on the extremes of Mm -hmm. the factor, but that also makes your performance a little bit, uh, you know, less volatile and probably a little better over time. Right. Now, with regard to factors, you know, I'm going to throw another one out there that is, is kind of lumped into this bucket now, ESG. You know, and this has been a hot topic with investors lately. Um, also a hot topic with you know the current political landscape and you know topics around climate change and sustainability. Do we see benefits to having an ESG screen or an ESG factor application? I know we run a strategy that does just that. Yeah, we do. So we do run an ESG strategy, um, and the way we run it is very simple. So we can take our our 
momentum-based investment process and just run it on an ESG screened universe. Mm. And so that allows you to invest in companies that are, you know, doing good things, essentially. Right. Um, and, you know, as a residual of that, for example, you very rarely invest in any energy companies, right? Because that is not sustainable, right? Like that resource is going to, way, going to go away. And there's a lot of pollution involved in that. So those kinds of things don't make the screen, mm-hmm. right? But there is an advantage to that. Um, it is something where I think that ESG is becoming much more popular. We saw a big announcement from BlackRock, I think it was yesterday, where That's they right. are going to really, really focus on ESG. They're going to really ramp that up. And this is a way, you know, kind of investors are thinking differently about the companies they invest in. Mm-hmm. And so from a moment, momentum standpoint and from a modeling standpoint, the way we do it or the way you can do things with the Dorsey Wright indicators, that sort of thing, it works great because you just you just use an ESG kind of screened universe and then you can do your stock picking from there. And so we think it's a great way to participate in that market. And we don't think that you should have to sacrifice performance to get good return or to, to invest in ESG stocks. You should be able to get good returns out of there without having to you know, give up something just because you're investing in companies that do well. You should be able to outperform broad market benchmarks. Sure, excellent. I know that's been a hot topic here. You know, we recently released an ESG stock model for subscribers to the platform. So, um, you know, if that's a topic you're interested in, let us know. Uh, we're happy to walk you through some of the benefits of ESG investing. Now, you know, to, to wrap up, John, when we look at, you know, whether you guys are running strategies that are focused on different themes or different asset classes or things that we're doing here, you know, I want to kind of impart to our listeners and our, our viewers on YouTube, you know, what are some of the ways that you can stay disciplined and consistent? Because right now, things are pretty easy for equity investors, right? We've had a great 2019, second best year of the last decade in terms of performance for large cap stocks. But we know that markets change, right? They fluctuate. We're going to see volatility at some point. So what are some ways to you know, stay disciplined, keep a process in check, and make sure that you, know, you, you stay on track when things do get a little bit rocky? Do you have any tips? Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is the one of the most important questions that we deal with in our office all the time about you know staying disciplined, remaining true to the process, and not deviating from it. And I think that those deviations, as small as they might be, people don't realize how huge of an effect that has on performance over the over time. And I think it's a little bit like flying an airplane, right? Like they say that being a pilot is a lot of boredom interrupted by moments of terror, right? And those kind of moments of stress are really when the process comes into play and really when you need that process to work for you the most. Like you said, it's been pretty easy for people and it is very easy to kind of lose your focus in this type of market. And then when you get that period of stress, it makes things really, really difficult if you're not following that process. So one of the things I think it's really important is to set something up for you that you understand and that you're comfortable with 
and that you can live with through all sorts of different markets. I mean, I could go and give somebody a rule set, and that doesn't mean they're going to be able to follow it, mm -hmm. right? So that's one thing. Like, you can't just take somebody else's rules and think that that's going to work for you. You might have to make some tweaks or do things so you understand the process from beginning to end. It's clear to you what's going on, and you have to have confidence that it's going to be able to, uh, you know, come out of these periods of underperformance. So that's number one. And I think, you know, you, you have to have a little kind of look inside yourself, right, and figure out what you can do and what you can't do. I think that's really hard for people to do. Yep. But I think that's kind of the most important thing. And then the other thing I think that's really important is to kind of set something up where you can monitor how this process is going, right? You'll, you always get the investment results, and that's based on performance and things like that. But ultimately, that's just kind of a residual of the process. Mm -hmm. So if, you, if you're saying, look, I'm not going to hold any stock that falls below a three on the Dorsey Wright technical attribute rankings, well, make sure that every day or every week or however much you view this, right, you print this out and go through with a highlighter, right? And anything that's below a three or red circle or whatever you want to do, make sure that that's clear on the page. And if, if you're not convinced that you can do something, get a friend, a partner, whatever, and make them look at it too, yep. right? And then, you know, keep yourself accountable to that. I think that those things um, are really important to do. And they're not like the nuts and bolts of the investment industry, but it really is where the rubber meets the road in terms of implementing this, right? Because we can give you the best investment strategy, but if you can't implement it, it doesn't mean anything. So a focus on that, I think, is a lot more important than people think. And there's some really easy ways to do to do it and to kind of keep yourself on track absolutely and and you know we often stress in our research and communications with you all putting in that process putting in the, the due diligence up front thinking about what you can and can't do putting it you know on paper and that way you have something formalized that you can at least refer to when the going gets rough right and and that's the goal we want to have a rules-based systematized approach to investing because that's how you stay, you know, I don't want to say safe, but you, you keep yourself from getting in trouble in a sense. And it gives you the consistency of long-term, you know, consistent returns that you can expect and deliver to clients year in and year out. Yeah, and, and I think the other thing too to, to realize about that too, when, when you're thinking about putting your rules down on paper and how you want to do this, it's really important to be realistic about what you can do. I mean, you're not going to outperform all the time. Yep. Right. You, I mean, that needs to be part of your rule. Right. I mean, you got to know that there's certain type of markets, for example, where momentum doesn't work great. Right. And identify those types of markets. So when you go through them, you're like, oh, we're in a really kind of sideways trending market. I'm not expecting things to do well. That's fine. Right. But when that trend emerges, if you're still not doing well, then you really need to start pulling things apart. If you start doing well again, that's just how the process works. So be really kind of uh, uh, true to yourself and true to the process and you know, be realistic about what you can accomplish. You're not going to outperform every week, every month, every quarter, yep. even every year. There's going to be times, and you need to realize that and be upfront with yourself about that. Well said.
Well, John, where can our listeners find out more information regarding our strategies or the work that you all do? Yeah, so we, we have a number of different SMA strategies. We can send you out information. Um, you can email us at moneymanagement at dorseywright.com or go to uh, our website, uh, dorseywright.com slash moneymanagement. Um, and then we're always around the office, happy to take phone calls or, or whatever. Um, and then you can get all the uh, the ETF strategies and stuff that Eric mentioned just on the, the models tab on the Dorsey Wright site. So we've got a lot of stuff out there. Um, and yeah, just feel free to call either the Richmond office or our office, and we'll be happy to send you stuff out. Fantastic. And as a note for you all, you know, one of my favorite resources uh, is our, our list of white papers that continues to expand. And uh, John, you're responsible for the bulk of those. So, you know, thanks for that great material. Uh, I always learn a lot of reading them. So those can be found on the resources tab, media and education, and then white papers on the Dorsey Wright platform. So with that, John, thanks for joining me. For you all, we'll talk to you next week.